as you can see by the sign on the stage, we're in a series titled, Let's Talk. Last week, the topic was, let's talk about pain. Next week, let's talk about truth. Today, let's talk about faith. And so open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. And what we're going to discover is that there's always critical conversations that can prove to be pivotal in our lives when we let the, the impact of the conversation really get to us. Faith is one of those topics that's it's almost hard to explain. I remember when I first came to know Jesus, I was 20 years old, and this whole thing about faith and what it really means, it seems so hard to grasp. In fact, I remember going up to one of the elders in the church, and I said to him, I said, excuse me, I said, I I'm just new to this whole Jesus thing, and can you explain to me, what does faith mean? And he looked at me and he, intently, and he said, it means, believe God, brother, believe God. And so I looked at him with this quizzical look, and I said, what does that mean? He said, have faith, and he just walked away. <laughs> and so I, I just... I didn't get anywhere. It's like what the great English preacher Spurgeon uh, said. He was talking to this man, and he said, Sir, what do you believe? And he said, I believe what my church believes. He said, what does your church believe? He said, my church believes what I believe. So Spurgeon got annoyed. He said, what do you and your church believe? He said, we believe the same things. <laughs> and so you still had no idea as to what exactly is faith. So over the years, I created my own acronym to understand faith. I pass it on to you. The acronym, F-A-I-T-H, faith, full assurance in the heart. When you have faith, you have full assurance in the heart. You have confidence in God's willingness and ability. In fact, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, but without faith, no one can please God. We must believe that God is real and rewards everyone who searches for Him. No matter who you are, old, young, educated, formally, not educated, formally, whether you have millions or you have pesos, <laughs> a couple of them. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years or for five hours, the scripture tells us no one can please God without full assurance in the heart. No one can please him without that. And I want to spend some time unpacking it to make it more palatable and practical so you can apply faith to your life because you'll find that every one of us needs to use faith. Why? Because we're here and what we want to accomplish is there or we're here and who we need to become is there and we find this big gap and the only thing to get us to this gap is faith. Your money won't get you there. All your friends won't get you there. People that you know won't get you there. Faith in God will get you there. Mark 2, beginning at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. 
Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never heard, we have never seen anything like this. Let's take a stop, a step back. They're in Capernaum, a small fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Bible tells us in another gospel, Matthew 9 verse 1, that this city, Capernaum, was Jesus' own town. Here in Mark 2, the Bible uses this language, he has come home. Scholars agree Capernaum was the home base of Jesus' ministry. In fact, when you read the gospel narratives, you'll find that three of his disciples lived in Capernaum. Peter, his brother Andrew, and Matthew, the tax collector. In fact, Matthew's office, according to Matthew 9 verse 9, was located in Capernaum. So Capernaum was a very familiar town to Jesus. When you read an earlier chapter of Mark, Mark's gospel, chapter 1, you'll find that we see that Jesus did many miracles there in Capernaum. So Capernaum was Jesus' stomping ground. Now, when I read the Bible, the poor man's method of exegesis, fancy word. Now, I've been to seminary and all that stuff, but let me show you easy tools to exegete, to read the text, to be able to analyze the text, hermeneutics, the science of Bible interpretation. Put yourself in the text. I'm in the text. You may say, who are you in the text? I'm one of the guys helping to carry the paralyzed man to Jesus. Come on and stand next to me. Carry the other angle. and You're going to see the text come alive. So this man, if we're going to see faith, because Jesus called it faith what they did, then we must understand from the text, action demonstrates faith. No matter how you look at it, faith is a verb. It captures action. Movement. In fact, throughout the scriptures, and particularly we see clearly in the famous chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, which is referred to as the hall of faith, we see that that particular truth exemplified where action demonstrates faith. 
It says, by faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham moved and obeyed God and moved to the promised land when God spoke to him. Action. By faith, the prostitute Rahab welcomed the spies and escaped death. Action. Faith is a verb. A verb, it demonstrates action or it is also a state of being. Trust is a state of being. You know, business community, they, they, they've really got a hold of that whole trust game. And they take their workers off to off-site to a little retreat to try to build a trust among their employees. And so the trust game is that stand up and then have some people behind you and then start falling backwards. And you fall backwards, just fall backwards. Now, if you're like me, I, uh, I don't know if I trust you. <laughs> I'm just, I don't want to fall down. And so here you are. They said, no, 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 trust, trust that your coworkers will catch you. And so you start falling backwards. And your coworkers are standing behind you catch you. It's supposed to reinforce trust among the workforce. The Bible says this in Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge God and he'll direct your path. So God says, trust me. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean on me. So when we see the idea is that trust is a verb as well, but a verb is action, and action demonstrates faith. Now put yourself in the story. We're in a story. Because faith, it seems, is still a little bit hard to grasp. Here's a paralyzed man from the waist down, has no sensitivity, no strength in his lower torso. He's in his home. Jesus is at the house there in Capernaum. This man's home is in Capernaum as well. And so most scholars agree that the house where Jesus was, was Peter's house. Mark 1, verse 35 to verse 42 points that out. And so we're in Mark 2. And so, you know, there was a gap between Mark 1 and Mark and Mark 2 because Jesus went off on, a, on, on some preaching you know, expedition and then he now came back home. So he returned home. Here's the paralyzed man in his home. That's not faith. Because remember, action demonstrates faith. Faith has three components. If I said, let me step, separate out faith, pull it apart, tear it apart. What does this thing, what's made up, what, what comprises faith? What are the ingredients? There are three of them. Faith has knowledge, it has believe, and has assent, A-S-S-E-N-T. You can't have faith unless these three ingredients are there. Knowledge is you can't believe God for anything that you have no knowledge of. So you must have a knowledge, must have information, must have some sense of a body of information. This paralyzed man in his home, he starts to think and ponder. I, I think God can heal me. I, I, I know God's a healer. I, I've seen, you know, Jesus did it before when he came to Capernaum last time. Peter's mother-in-law, and, and then verse 35 to verse 42 of Mark 1 says, many in the town of Capernaum were healed, and many were delivered from demons. So this man now has knowledge that God is a healer, so he knows. But knowledge by itself is not faith. The paralyzed man had knowledge of Jesus' healing ministry and healing gift, but knowledge by itself is not faith. 
Two years ago, I was speaking in Atlanta, Georgia. Before the night service, I was the keynote speaker. A woman walks up to me as I walked into the sanctuary. She just walked up to me and smiled at me. So I smiled back. She smiled, I smiled, okay? And she said, do you remember me? I said, no. She said, I sang at your church years ago. During, and we back at the East Campus, we used to have this, years ago, a national worship conference. She said, I sang at the at Montclair campus years ago. Don't you remember me? I'm, so, I'm sorry. She said, and she's looking at me right there, eyeball to eyeball. She had maybe inches, uh, high-heeled, maybe about two, three inches. And I said, I'm sorry. She said, the reason why you may not remember me is because I was in a wheelchair. Delia, D-E-L-I-A, Knox, K-N-O-X, you can look her up on YouTube. Her and her twin sister, over 20 years ago, they were, the, their car, as they were driving, they were hit by a drunk driver. And she became paralyzed from the waist down. And she'd been paralyzed for over 20 years. And so when she came to sing, she was in a wheelchair. And we had to, you know, about four guys had to pick up the wheelchair because at the East Campus, we don't have the sophisticated handicap accessibility ramps and all of that because you're dealing with a 100-year-old cathedral. So we had to pick her up and carry her up on the stage in a wheelchair, and she sang. I had no idea how tall she was because I only knew her sitting down. And so here's this woman standing in front of me and looking at me eyeball to eyeball saying, do I remember you? I said, no, I, I don't remember you. She's, and I said, what happened? She said, God healed me a few years ago. I went to this crusade and, and they prayed over me and God healed me. And my legs that I've not been able to walk on for over 20 years, strength came in my legs and here I'm walking. And then, you know, there's this, and, and she's walking around. And she's walking and, and you know, ladies, I wouldn't know this, but you know it. It's hard to walk in high heel shoes. And she's walking around with these two, three inch heels. And there's a whole episode that you can just YouTube her and you'll see it. The miracle and you'll hear her testimony. 700 Club did a feature. All of that. Delia Knox, D-E-L-I-A-K-N-O-X. But I'm so pointing out, you can have knowledge of God's ability, but that in and of itself is still not faith for you. And so you have to take now the knowledge and move to another step, which is to believe. So you believe the knowledge you have. Believe is to have confidence and reliability in the truth of that knowledge. And so here's this man in his home. He began to believe in Jesus' healing ability. Believe that, that God can heal him. And so the paralytic, as the you know, other translation used, the paralyzed man, he began to think, if God, you know, if God is a healer, then he can heal me. I'm so thankful he did not fall into this pitfall that so many people fall into when they deal with the subject of faith. They fall into this error, and the error is they start thinking, if God wants me healed, he'll heal me. Oh, if God wants me healed, I can just stay right here and he'll heal me. But remember now, action demonstrates faith. The pitfall that you just fell into as a whole, there's a fancy $10 word called antinomianism. 
That is just a body of doctrine that says, since I'm a follower of Christ, he has done it all already. There's nothing I need to do morally, faith-wise. He'll just do it independent of me. Error. 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 And so I want you to see that this man did not fall into that hole because he realized that faith has components to it, ingredients, knowledge. I have to know what God can do. Believe. I have to have confidence and reliability in what I know. And then that's still not faith. Faith is when you act upon or assent upon the knowledge, the belief, and when you assent to act upon it, that's faith. When did faith begin to become evident in this man's life? When he says, come on, I need to get dressed. I'm going to the crusade. He called friends. Could you be one of the friends people call when they need a a faith miracle? I want to be one of those friends. Let me give David Ireland a call. Hey, get David Ireland. I think he'll help me. I want you to be one of those individuals. And so faith now, and they get him on the pallet. They had to hoist him up, put him on the pallet. He's dressed in his, in his nice outfit. Why? Because this is time for faith. James chapter 2 verse 14 shows us the practicality of faith when James says it this way. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this? That means this whole faith thing, if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? Then when I jump to verse 17, James says, Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? See, a lot of people, we, we talk. We say, well, God can do it. But you have not engaged. Action demonstrates faith. Imagine if you had a seven-year-old son playing in the backyard. And from inside your house, you hear him screaming. When you look out the window, a cougar is attacking him. Last week in Vancouver Island, Canada, a juvenile male cougar was lurking in the backyard, grabbed the boy's arm in his mouth, and was dragging him off into the nearby woods. His mom, Chelsea Lockhart, sprang into action. She ran outside and grabbed the cougar by his jaws. And here's what she said. I knew that in my own power and in my own strength, I wasn't going to be able to pry its mouth open. So I started praying in tongues. I'm just crying out to the Lord, she said. Three sentences into me praying, it released it and ran away. Come on, we can give the Lord praise. I'm talking about action demonstrates faith. See, like the apostle James taught, action demonstrates faith. Chelsea would confirm that God talk without God action is not faith. Can you imagine if you had to talk with her son Zachary? He would say, because his mom, my mom had faith. I now have a life. See, see, Chelsea wouldn't be telling you about, hey, let me just talk to you about faith because I sat in my house. No, 
It's faith when you leave the house. It's faith when you say, let me go towards the solution. Let me go and attack the problem. Faith is when you step out there and you have knowledge of what God can do. And you believe that knowledge and you assent, you act upon that knowledge. Action demonstrates faith. I want you to know that there's something in your life right now where you're here and that something is there. God's calling you to it. He promised you it. He is inviting you to it. You need it. But there's a gap here. You ought not to be earthy and carnal and sit back and let just things work itself out the way it will work itself out. No, that's what earthly, godless people do. You are a child of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe he exists. And he's a rewarder of those who earnestly, diligently, persuasively, passionately, patiently, consistently seek him. I want you to know our God, he gets no glory out of unanswered prayer. He gets no glory out of disappointed children. He gets no glory out of depressed kids. Our God is a prayer answering God and he responds to faith. I'm here to tell you today, it's time to say, have faith in God. I dare to believe God. I dare to believe God. What people deem impossible, that's normative to God. What God's looking for is a man or a woman, someone ordinary like you, someone ordinary like me that dare to believe him in the face of skepticism. I've come to preach today to let you know that our God is mighty and he wants to do something powerful in your life. Action demonstrates faith. demonstrates it. Expectation fuels faith. The paralyzed man had a number of friends carry him to Jesus. Put yourself in the story. I'm carrying one of the ends. The pallet, the four ends. Four men are carrying him, but there are other friends. One over there, one over there, one over here, one over here, each corner carrying him. They're walking through the village. As they're walking through the village, you can imagine villagers saying, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going to the crusade. Some villagers may have said, come on, he's been like that for such a long time. Don't, don't, don't work yourself up into any kind of disappointment. Go back home. Expectation fuels faith. They said, don't, don't worry about them. We're going. They're going. Others say, well, where are you guys going? We're going to the crusade. Oh, we tried to go. The place is so packed you can't even get in. Don't even worry about it. Don't go anywhere. Just save yourself the trip. Expectation fuels faith. See, expectation is when you have anticipation. Talk to kids before Christmas Day. And you tell them, Christmas Day, we have all the gifts for you. You want to see kids who will normally wake up at 12 noon? They wake up like, you know, at 5 a.m., go into your room, wake you up. It's time. It's Christmas. Because they have expectation. Expectation is a powerful force. It changes everything. In fact, in the world of psychology, there's a phrase that was captured based on experiments around the theme of expectation. It's called the Rosenthal effect. 
Dr. Rosenthal, back in the 1960s with undergraduate students, started an experiment, and over the decades that experiment has been reinforced in lots of different corners of the academic world to recognize that there's power in expectation. It actually, it impacts the outcome. What Dr. Rosenthal did was gather some undergraduate students and said, come into the laboratory. We have rats that are here, and I want you to teach these rats how to run through a maze, and I'm going to give you a week to do so. But we've separated the type of rats. We're going to give some of you students bright rats, you know, smart. They're genetically designed as smart rats. They'll, they'll pick it up in a week, how to run through this maze. Others of you, you'll have some, and they're kind, dull rats, you know, you know dumb rats. They, they, they may not get it, but, you know, that, that, you know, train them to run through the maze in a week. Came back in a week, it's time. The bright rats, they got it. They were able to successfully go through the maze. Many of the dull rats couldn't get it. Dr. Rosenthal said, I need to be honest with you. There was no difference in the rats. There are no genetically rats that are wired to be smart. I just told you that. When they probed to find out why the impact of expectation with the bright rats facilitated an impact of the outcome, the students that were given that information that these rats are bright, they became more diligent. They became more focused. They became more attentive. They became more consistent. The guys with the dull rats, they were more nonchalant. They were more laissez-faire. They didn't care as much because they said these rats are dull anyway. May I suggest, and they did those studies with kids. Now, I'm not calling kids rats. But what I'm saying is that the whole idea of expectation, it works. And so if you think, well, you know, my marriage, it, it won't work. It just, you know, oh, my kids, they just won't get it. Oh, my church will never become. Oh, my community will never really. My job will, oh, same way, same way. Your expectation impacts your outcome. When these guys carrying this man that was paralyzed, when they're walking through the town, expectation fuels faith. Don't you worry what they're saying. Don't you worry. We're going to get to Jesus. Don't you worry. We're going to get to Jesus. Don't worry. This is your day. This is your moment. This is your moment. Come on. Don't worry. And as they may rotate it on and off to make sure their four guys always, they're making things happen. I want you to see the power of expectation in its, con in con in its connection to faith. I love what A.W. Tozer said. God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. The great American evangelist D.L. Moody puts it this way. If God is your partner, make your plans big. In other words, shatter those small plans. Shatter those small dreams. Stop shooting so low. Aim higher. Dream bigger. Have bigger dreams, bigger goals, bigger plans, bigger desires. Why? Because we serve a big God. And so what we need to recognize, even Dr. J.B. Phillips, the great Greek New Testament scholar, he says that don't, we don't serve a village God. We serve the God of all the world. We, we pray village prayers. God bless me and my son and his wife and my wife and us four no more. Stop praying those small, picayune, minuscule, inconsequential prayers. We serve a God that is great and mighty and he's willing to do great and mighty things on your behalf. You need to step into 
into that realm of expectation and let God do his stuff. He wants to prove himself powerful on your behalf. And when you say, God, do it for me, and don't, it doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter who says it's impossible. What God deems possible is that you link up with him and trust in the Lord, as Scripture says, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all of, way, all of your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I want you then to be affirmed in this. Let's talk about faith. You can't get to where God wants you to get to within your own strength. You need faith in God. You can't get where you need to get to just because your friends and your family and your contacts and your co-workers. You need God to do something for you. And what we need to do, the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Action demonstrates faith. Expectation fuels faith. And we must know this. Agreement strengthens faith. See, agreement is the power of many. It's where our faith is peaked because of our common need and common goals. I bring you back to Mark 2 and verse 4, which reads, But because of the crowd, they could not get him to Jesus. So they made a hole in the roof above him and let the man down in front of everyone. When Jesus saw how much faith they had, he said to the crippled man, My friend, your sins are forgiven. I don't don't know about you, but I, I, I want friends like this in my life. Friends that'll take me to Jesus. Now, they get to the house. The place is jam packed. Wall to wall people, people sitting in the window ledge, people sitting, you know, standing in the doorway. You can't get in. Could you imagine this man just laying there, having walked through the, gone through the town, having been carried through the village, having then been brought to, to, you know, to Jesus to be healed, and Jesus can't even see him, and he can't even see Jesus. He's just laying there. But I want you to understand that when things may look bleak, Don't give up. I love what the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, says. I'm so weak that I can hardly write. I cannot read my Bible. I cannot even pray. I can only lie still in God's arms like a little child and trust. So here's this man just laying there, just trusting. I don't know how. He can't get up to help himself. And they're sitting there, they're there, all the people are there. Nobody's moving out of the way saying, oh, this man has a need. He's not a, some, some, you know, some, uh, some significant person in Capernaum. They're not saying, give way to, to John. This is John, everybody. Get out of his way. No one's moving. Everyone's in it for themselves. There's there. Jesus preaching. And, and that word in the original Greek, it meant he kept on preaching. So he was preaching. These guys were t- going through the village. He's still preaching the word. People were so captivated by the word, enamored by the word, you know, gripped by the word. Jesus kept on telling them the word, talking to them about how God thinks, how God feels about them. People were there captivated by Jesus. And then someone suggested, hey, we come this far, we're not going back. Let's go up on the roof. Now, Middle Eastern roofs were flat, not like our roofs pitched. They're flat. And there's a staircase on the side of the house. That you can go up the roof. The roof, roof was made out of, it was made out of wood 
wooden slats with mud, leaves, rocks, different kinds of materials to keep the, the mud to just make coagulated and, and just stick with one another. And so is this thatched roof. And so here they are now. Now you understand when you're walking up steps and you're carrying a man on a pallet, the guys who are on the, on the higher part of the steps must lower the pallet. And so they're walking very gingerly. The guys on the bottom part of the steps must raise the pallet to keep it flat. Or else the guy who's paralyzed waist down will be paralyzed waist down and waist up. And so they're carrying this pallet and they're making sure that it's even. They're taking their time. And could you imagine that people in the crowd say, hey, who these guys think they are? They're jumping the prayer line. But, 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 but expectation fuels faith. They're, they're carrying the pallet. Then they get up to the roof. They sit the pallet down. You may say, well, how do they sit the pallet down? You can't dig while holding a pallet. They sat the pallet on the roof. Someone's walking on the roof and they're just... Figure out where is Jesus preaching because if you dig a hole in the roof and you're in the wrong spot, you may be in the back of the house when you lower it and Jesus in the front of the house. you got to get the right spot. And so someone's listening to where his voice is emanating from. And so, hey, hey, he's over here. Are you sure? Yeah, he's right here. Listen. Yep, that's Jesus. Now they start digging. Now you can't just dig a small hole. Imagine now if the average height of the man is six feet tall. Now, and you say, well, who says he's that tall? Okay, he's my height, 5'7". If you're, if you're, if you're, that's on a good day when the wind is blowing in my hair and they all, you know, the hair stands straight up. And so even if he's 5'7", on the short side, you still got to dig a hole that is at least six feet in length. And the width has to be at least three feet to compensate for the width of his shoulders. So imagine now, these guys, they put the pallet down and they start digging. Now, nobody comes to a crusade with tools. Well, I'm going to Jesus. No, no, I say if I poll the audience, how many of you brought your tools here today? Unless you're a contractor, you have in your car or your truck all the time. But nobody brings tools with them. These guys have to use their hands or use rocks or use sticks or do something. And they're digging. Now, I want you to think about it. When you're digging a roof made out of mud and, and debris and leaves and, 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 and sand, the debris starts to fall in the, in the house. Now, it is, scholars say it's Peter's house. If I'm Peter, I'm, I'm going to motion to one of the kids. What does that mean? You know you have language with you and your kids? It means go outside and check it out. I don't want to interrupt. This is Jesus. We got to make sure we're on our P's and Q's. Jesus is in our house. This is, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Kid runs outside. He looks, comes back in. There's guys, there are five guys on the roof. What? On my roof? But you can't do anything. Why? Jesus, you can't throw them out of your house. You can't throw them off. You can't create a commotion and break up the crusade. You got to just watch this whole thing. And I hope these guys, they're going to pay me. They're going to mess up my roof. They better, they better have money. All that's going on. You didn't know that, did you? All that's going on in the text. And so, and, and, and so they're digging a hole. They're digging a hole. And you don't know how Jesus is going to take it. When you mess with a preacher when they're preaching, you don't know what may happen. And, and I mean, I can tell you. It happened twice to me in my ministry. Once in Germany, once in Nigeria. I'm in the middle of my sermon in Germany. Some guy jumps up and starts yelling out things. 
I knew I was going to have problems because when we drove up to the site, there were people standing outside with picket signs. And I don't read German. And so I asked my host, what do those signs mean? What do they say? He said, don't worry about it. I said, what do you mean don't worry about it? Come to find out that the Germans, they were angry because they said, there's no way God has anything positive to say about Germans because they're so wicked. So they're picketing the conference. So worship went on, no problems. I came up to speak with my interpreter. Ten minutes into my sermon, this German guy who has come in, who was one of the picketers, nobody knew he paid his registration fee, came in. He jumped up ten minutes into my sermon, started yelling out something. Now, I don't speak German, don't understand German, no sprechen Sie Dutch, but I do understand this. What that guy was saying, whatever he was saying is out of order. All of a sudden, my New York kicked in. <laughs> so I told my interpreter, I said, tell him I said, sit down and shut up. So my interpreter stood there like that. She got afraid. And so I just bypassed her. I said, I need two big guys. Go over to that guy, grab him, and throw him out of here in the name of the Lord. And I'm looking at it like all crazy. Grab him and throw him out of here. Next moment, two big barrel-chested German guys walked over to the guy, <laughs> grabbed him, dragged him out, threw him out. And then I said to the audience, let's give, everybody, let's give God praise. That guy we just threw out, he made this meeting exciting. All the Germans start applauding. So I don't know what may happen in the text. You mess with Jesus in the middle of his sermon. I don't know what may happen. And so the dust is coming down. Jesus preaching the word, more dust. Then you see opening, you see the skylight. You say, wait a second, we don't have a skylight. But they're digging a hole. And so they look up, the hole now widens. It widens. Next thing we know, somebody grabbed rope from somewhere. And they made sure the rope was on all four ends. And they have this hand-to-eye coordination. All four ends of the pallets being lowered in a way to keep the pallet flat. Next thing, Jesus looks up and the scripture says he sees their faith. Their faith. See, you must realize faith becomes a communal thing. It's not just about you. You need friends in your life that believe God with you. You need friends in your life that can walk with you. We don't need two people in our church to have faith. We need everybody to have faith. There are things that God's called us to do as a faith community that is incumbent upon you to link your faith with mine. I link mine with yours. And together we can be able to make a difference in New Jersey, in the United States, and in this hemisphere, and this generation. Why? Because we link our faith together. And when the power of agreement is at work, Exponential things can happen. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. Jesus is in the business of doing great and mighty things. Someone give the Lord praise today. But I close with the fact that our God, He said, He dealt with first things first. Your sins be forgiven you. And he dealt with the first things first. And then the man was healed. And I want to pray with you today. Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do great and mighty things in your life. And this is your moment. Today is your day. Let's stand together. There's a healing anointing that just entered the room. Mm. If you've been battling with cancer, come stand at the altar. 
If your doctor has said to you, I don't know what else to do for you, I've tried everything, come to the altar. I want to pray with you today. The Spirit of the Lord is here to minister healing. There's a parent in this room, you've been crying because your child has been crying and you feel so powerless because you've seen your child sick and there's nothing you can do. Where are you? Raise your hand nice and high, parent. Parent, where are you? I want to pray with you. Where's that parent? You're, you've been crying. Come, please. This is your moment. God wants to heal that child. The Spirit of the Lord is here today. Our God loves us. He cares deeply for us. God is interested in healing psychological and emotional trauma. Mm. Don't be embarrassed. You've been hurting yourself because of the traumas going on in your life. Come, please. Come gather here at the altar. No judgment. The Lord wants to bring healing. You've been hurting yourself because you don't know how to cope with the, the pain. It's so unbearable. But the Lord is here. And there's a healing anointing here to minister to you. Today is your day. God wants to do something wonderful inside of you. He wants to do something wonderful inside of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There are a number of people here you've been experiencing frightening nightmares where you sleep now with the lights on. Come, gather here at the altar. The Holy Spirit wants to break that thing over your life. You sleep with the lights on because of just, just this fear, this awkwardness, this, this sense of phobia, these frightening nightmares that's been happening in your life regularly for months now. Come, the Holy Spirit wants to set you free. The Bible tells us that, that uh, there's no fear in the Lord. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. Come on, if that's you, you don't need to stay there. That's not the will of God. That's that paranoia. That's not God's will for your life. There's a breaker's anointing in here to help liberate you and set you free. You're going to be delivered today. The Spirit of the Lord is here this morning to help you, to help you find freedom and wholeness. Congregation, stretch your hands towards these men and women at the altar. The Lord's going to do some mighty things in their lives. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Father, I thank you right now for healing to flow from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. The peace of the Lord. The peace of the Lord on your child. I thank you for healing in Jesus' name. Breakthrough right now. Breakthrough. And God is bringing peace in your home. Peace in your home. Peace in your home. Peace in your home. I release you from the powers of darkness. I loose you now in Jesus' name. The peace of God. No more, no more impact in your dream life. The peace of God. The peace of God right now. The peace of God. That, there's a, just fear all over you. I curse that spirit of fear right now. I loose you in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for healing. Healing. Healing from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. Healing. Healing in Jesus' name. There's a spirit of reconciliation coming to your family. Your family is like a jigsaw puzzle. The pieces scattered all over. This person is fragmented from that person, separated from that person. God's healing your family. He's going to fulfill your heart's desires, what you've been praying for. God's bringing that to you. Father, I thank you that peace will, will just wash over this man. Peace over this precious lady. Peace in Jesus' name. Thank you, my Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, let's magnify our God. 